Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, thank you, and I'll tell you, uh, Katie set the bar high last week. Wow, and I've sort of done this before, so that was like even worse. I was like, seriously, Katie? Come on. So um, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, Would you pray with me as we get started on this morning's message? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the honor and the privilege that we have of gathering together today. I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that our hearts would be open and our ears would be open to hear and that we would be ready to respond. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I want to start with a question. We often like to start with questions around here, get you thinking. So have you ever had an expectation of something that wasn't met? Or have you ever had really high expectations of something and they weren't met at all, but what happened instead actually ended up being better than what your expectations were? Well, for me, it was my honeymoon. Now, Before you start to panic, I am not going to overshare, okay? And my husband thanks me. Um, So the, the day after Ron and I got married, we got on a plane and we flew out to Norfolk, Virginia, Um, because we had a five-night stay in a resort in Virginia Beach booked. And um, after that, we had two more nights at, you know, a quality inn and suites in uh, Norfolk because we could only stay at the resort for five nights. So um, I was really excited about this. It had been years since since I had been to the beach. I'm sorry, all of you Illinoisans, but Lake Michigan doesn't count. I wanted to see, like, a real ocean. Okay, so it had been years since I had been and seen a real ocean, and I couldn't wait to feel the sand between my toes and have romantic walks along the beach with my new husband and gaze into the sunset. And you get the idea. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear the word resort, I have a certain, you know, picture that I get in my mind. I picture, you know, a clean, quiet, air-conditioned lobby with friendly staff who are helpful, and um, I picture a pristine and clear, crystal-clear swimming pool, and I picture a quiet, nice room. I'm sure all of you, when you hear the word resort, you have these sort of expectations too. Maybe your expectations are even higher. So this is what I'm picturing in my head, okay? So Ron and I pull up to the hotel, and that is where our expectations cease to be met. So we get out of the car, and first of all, 
it was almost impossible to find a parking space, you know, in the hotel parking lot. So then we get out of the car and we walk in the door and the first thing, the first sight that greets us is an out of order elevator. We walk along and there's sand all over the floor, the floor is dirty, and the doors, every single door in this place is wide open. So the incredibly muggy, hot Virginia air is just all over, you know, so like not cool, not, you know, not clean, not quiet. Okay, so, you know, we could probably look past the out-of-order elevator. There was somebody working on it at the time, and we could look past the dirt on the floor. I'm sure it's hard to keep the floor of the lobby clean when there's all these people walking in and out all the time who have been to the beach all day and are dragging their sand in with them. So, okay, we looked all, we looked past all that. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, hmm, I really hope the rest of this place is in better shape. So we checked in. We hauled our luggage up a couple flights of stairs to get up to our room. Now, this is when I should probably tell you that this is one of those hotels that was designed with the rooms all around the outside and the the inside was open all the way from the floor all the way up to the top floor, so you could look down from the landing and, you know, you could look down at the swimming pool. That's great and everything, but um, not quiet. And then the other thing is, all the rooms had windows that faced out to the landing. Yeah, it was a little odd. Windows that faced out to the landing, and, you know, they had a little sitting room in there and whatever. Okay. So we get, to our, we get to our room, and we open the door, and we walk in, and I see that the blinds on the windows that face the landing are broken. Like, they're cracked, they're bent, they're dirty. You can't close them. So um, no privacy. The floor, you know, the carpet was kind of dingy and just old-looking, and... Some of you are too young to remember this, but you know those, like, 1980s hotel comforters? That was what was on the bed. And I, quite frankly, don't remember what the view was, but I can tell you for sure that there was no view of the beach because the beach was several blocks away. Now, needless to say, Ron, who many of you know is a very smart guy, took one look at his new bride's face and knew that he had better do something and fast because this was going downhill and not in a good way. So what we ended up doing was calling the old Quality Inn and Suites in Norfolk, and we discovered that they had room for us, so we packed up our, or what well, we hadn't unpacked, we just turned around, walked out the door, hauled our luggage back downstairs and said, um, we're checking out. And they were like, really? And we're like, yep, bye, sorry, not staying. So needless to say, not a great start to the honeymoon. So you're all thinking, okay, why is she telling us this story? Well, here's the reason. Because... What ended up happening was staying at the Quality Inn and Suites in Norfolk was so much better than staying at a resort in Virginia Beach. 
First of all, the lobby was quiet, air-conditioned, had a friendly, helpful staff, and continental breakfast. I mean, who doesn't like a good continental breakfast? And then, you know, our room had somewhat up-to-date comforters on the beds and blinds and curtains that were fully functional. And to top all of that off, we had the hotel pool, which there weren't very many people staying at the hotel that week. So we pretty much had the pool entirely to ourselves. And what I also discovered is we, you know, we went into Virginia, we went into Virginia Beach a couple of times, and I discovered that Virginia Beach was crowded, it was dirty, it was noisy, and would not have been my ideal vacation spot. My ideal vacation spot is somewhere quiet where I can read a good book and not be disturbed. And so what ended up, even though my expectations had been dashed, what actually happened turned out way better than if we, you know, stayed at that resort in Virginia Beach. And I'm sure if I talked to any one of you, you could all tell me about a time when you had an expectation of something excuse me, that was not met. And something else, maybe even better, happened as a result. So where we're going today with this story is that it's really all about expectations. And I want to tell you about a guy named Peter. And I don't know about the rest of you, if you know Peter or have heard of Peter, but Peter has to be one of my favorite, if not my favorite, one of my favorite disciples. Because Peter just, he's just an ordinary guy who doesn't always get it. And he just barges in and he does some really stupid things. And Jesus still loves him and uses him. And so, you know, we're in the, in the, the writer Matthew gives us a really cool kind of behind-the-scenes look at some conversations that went on between Jesus and his followers. And I need to set the scene for you because what happened right before this is that Jesus was, you know, walking along with his, with his followers and he says to them, you know, who do, who do people say that I am? And they respond and they say, well, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist and other people say you're Elijah, who was a prophet, and then other people say you're Jeremiah. Some of people think you're Jimmy Hoffa. Um, come on. Okay, yeah, no, not Jimmy Hoffa. But you get the idea. They were, they were throwing out names and, you know, people were making guesses as to who Jesus was. So um, then Jesus kind of turned it a little bit and he he said to, the, to his followers, well, who do you say that I am? And at this point, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we're all thinking, wow, Peter gets it. Oh my goodness, he really gets it. But what we're going to learn is that Peter had a little bit of a problem with his expectations. So we go on, and, it's, and Matthew tells us, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things 
at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Okay, now you're all thinking, wait a minute, I thought Peter got it. You remember when Peter said that Jesus was the Messiah? Peter had a completely different expectation of what it meant to be the Messiah. You see, for the last probably 400 years or so, the Jews had been oppressed by by nation after nation, empire after empire. It was the Persians, and then it was the Greeks, and now it was Rome. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, they'd probably been, been oppressed by the Romans for at least 90 years. And they were just tired of it. They wanted, they wanted to have their country back. They wanted to be a country again. They were remembering the, the glory days of King David and King Solomon when they were a superpower in the world. And they wanted those days back. And so when Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, he's thinking the Messiah is a conquering king who's going to come in and throw out the Romans. You see, Peter had watched Jesus, and he had seen Jesus turn water into wine, and he had seen Jesus um, feed thousands upon thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two small fish. And on top of that, Peter saw Jesus stand up in a boat and command a storm to cease, and it did. So Peter's looking at Jesus, and he's thinking, okay, this is a guy that can get it done. He has the power. They've never seen a guy with this kind of power before. He has the power to kick the butts of the Romans all the way back to Rome. And not only that, but what I didn't mention to you before was that Jesus told Peter that he was going to use Peter as the foundation for his kingdom and for his church. So Peter's thinking, oh man, this is going to be so good. Jesus is going to kick these guys out. We are going to take control, and I'm going to get to sit at his right hand and rule with him, and I'm going to get to oppress all the people that have been oppressing me. And it is going to be great. So then... Peter hears Jesus say, I am going to go to Jerusalem. And they're like, okay, okay, here we go. It's time, it's time. And then Jesus says, "Uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and then I'm going to die. And Peter's like, "Um, no, wait a minute. That is not how this is supposed to work. The Messiah is supposed to be a conquering king. So he takes Jesus aside and he's like, "Uh, you've got it wrong. Let me explain it to you. This is what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to kick Rome out. I'm supposed to sit next to you and rule with you. And that's how it's going to be. Now, at this point, Jesus turns around and does something that really none of us would ever expect. Jesus, who we would expect you know, to take Peter gently by the hand and nicely correct him and say, no, no, Peter, you're confused. 
you've got it wrong, but here, let me, let me talk you through this, and, and we'll work it out. No, Peter does, or excuse me, Jesus says something that is completely unexpected. He turned to Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Um, yikes. Wasn't, wasn't this just the guy who Jesus had said, Peter, you have got it, and so I'm going to have you be the foundation of my church and my kingdom. And now he's turning around and he's calling him Satan? That seems a little harsh to me, especially, in fact, seems a lot harsh to me, especially coming from Jesus. You know, we, we, Jesus is supposed to be kind and loving and sweet. And no, he wasn't. So let me explain what was going on here, because we need, to get, we need to understand this before we can move on. When, when Jesus called Peter Satan, he first of all was not saying that Peter had all of a sudden morphed into the devil. Um, he was also not saying that Peter was all of a sudden demon-possessed. But what happened for Jesus is that he got a little bit of deja vu or maybe even a flashback where all of a sudden he is back remembering at a couple years ago where the real Satan, the devil, had taken him to a top of a high mountain and he'd shown Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and he said, if you will abandon God and follow me, I'll give you dominion over all these kingdoms, and you don't have to go through any of the hard stuff that you think you might have to go through. And at that time, Jesus had been able to resist and say, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to stay on my path. But then here's Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers and friends, who's standing in front of Jesus, and he's doing the same thing. He's saying, Jesus, there's a much easier way where you don't have to go through the hard stuff and you don't have to endure the pain and the suffering. And let's face it, Jesus was human. He would not have wanted to experience pain and suffering and death. And so here's Peter presenting another option. And Jesus is saying, no, I, <laughs> I already dealt with this. I don't want to deal with this again. And Satan literally means adversary. So at this point, Peter stood in the way and became an adversary. Think about it. When someone is your adversary, they're opposing you. They're standing directly in your way and keeping you from doing whatever it is you need to be doing. And so at that point, that's what Peter became. And so Jesus had to say, Jesus had to make a choice again. Am I going to follow God's way or am I going to take a different, easier way? And so he had to say to Peter, get behind me, get out of my way, and get back to following me so that I can accomplish what needs to be done. So, but what I really want to concentrate, now that we've, we've gotten that out of the way, we tend to get so bogged down in Jesus calling Peter Satan that we miss the next part of what he says. So here's where we're going. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And it's that second phrase, that you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's what really caught my eye. And I started to think, when I get concerned about something that's going on in my life, or something that's going on in the church, is it because I'm focusing on my human expectations, or am I thinking about God's bigger picture? It's the word merely that really gets me. Merely means something that is only as specified and nothing more. So to me, merely is small, and it's contained. And it's like, it's like Jesus is saying to Peter here, I get that you're tired of being oppressed, and I get that, that you, want, you want your kingdom back, you want your country back, but your concerns and your expectations are merely human, and they're merely for one small country, and my plan is so much bigger than that. My plan is global. So, you know, Jesus gets that we have concerns about what's happening in our lives and about what's happening in our church. But what we need to remember is that sometimes these are nothing more than human expectations, and we need to see the bigger picture. So how, how do we focus our minds on God's bigger picture instead of our own human expectations? Well, Jesus actually tells us how to do it in the next couple of verses. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now, a lot of you have heard these verses before. These are quoted often in the church, and I think that we tend to, to romanticize them. You know, it sounds, it sounds big and grand, and we tend to apply them to, like, martyrs and missionaries and sometimes maybe even pastors, and we don't really like to um, apply them to ourselves. But Jesus didn't say... If you want to be a missionary or a pastor, then you need to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. No, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple. That means everybody. It's not a select few. Jesus is talking to everybody. And when Jesus says deny themselves, he's not talking about, you know, going on a hunger strike and he's not even talking about giving up something for Lent. Jesus is talking about the daily act of putting aside our own human expectations and looking for God's bigger picture. Now, you know, he talks about a cross, and crosses aren't fun, 
you know, you look and crosses involve suffering. But here's the thing about the cross. It's not only about suffering. The cross also shows love and grace and acceptance. And when we're willing to surrender our human expectations and take up the cross, we have freedom to follow in a way that we never would have been able to before. And, you know, sometimes we may not see God's big picture right away, but we're still to follow. And sometimes we may not see God's big picture for years and years, but we're still to follow. So what does it mean as individuals for us to take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow Jesus? Well, for some of us, it may mean giving up a Saturday once a month and coming in and helping and serving in Hope Closet. For others of us, it may mean not going to Starbucks quite so often so you have more project money to give to Project 23. Okay, maybe I'm just talking about myself in that point. Um, for others of us, it may mean getting up earlier on a Sunday morning and coming to our new leader service so that you can spend time serving our kids in the new 10 o'clock hour or so that you can spend time in our first impressions ministry greeting and welcoming people as they come into the church. Yeah, it, it, it sounds kind of tough, and it doesn't sound easy, but oh, the freedom and the joy that comes from surrendering those expectations and allowing God to lead. It may mean, it may mean that we need to adjust our expectations for our lives and our church. And I want to stop right there and say, look at how many times the word our is in that, word, in that phrase. Yes, we need to adjust our expectations for our lives and for our church. But, you know, when you become a follower of Jesus, at least for me, it's not my life anymore. My life belongs to Jesus. And this church is not our church. This church belongs to Jesus. And so we may need to adjust our expectations of what it looks like to do church. When, we, when life doesn't meet our expectations, do we look at it from a merely human perspective or do we look for God's bigger picture and think, what, what is God doing here? Where can I get involved with what God is doing? So, we might not, as I said before, we might not immediately see the big picture, but we're still to follow. And as I said before, it may take years. We may never entirely see the bigger picture, but we are still to follow. And God gives us little glimpses of what he's doing. So what does it mean, I've talked about individuals, what does it mean as a church to deny ourselves? Perhaps it means making some changes to the way that we do things that are really uncomfortable for us. It may mean 
that we have to totally rethink the way that we do church. For me, it hasn't been an easy road to adjust my expectations. Some of you know this, but a lot of you don't know that um, I was the worship leader here for six or seven years. Um, and I loved it. And you know what? I was pretty good at it. Um, I can sing. I can play the piano. I've got some skills. And um, I, really, I really loved it, you know? That was, my, that was my thing. When people asked me what I did, I was like, oh, I'm a worship leader. And, you know, I could say with confidence what I did, and I could explain it to them. And... You know, I loved it so much, for crying out loud, I was leading worship up here when I was nine months pregnant with my child. That's, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, yeah, I loved it. But then one day, Pastor Brad and I sat down, and we had a meeting. And um, Brad said to me, I, I really feel like God is leading us to take the worship to a whole other place in this church and a whole other level. And, and he asked me, do you think that that's something, is this a direction that you think you're able to take us? And I had to be honest in that moment, which, oh my gosh, being honest and thinking, no, I can't do this? That's horrible. But I had to say, no, I... I don't think that I can. And it was not fun. I cried. Brad cried. Seriously, he cried. And, yeah, and then I began to question everything. I was like, okay, well, this, this is what God has gifted me to do. If I'm not doing music, what am I supposed to do? And I, you know, I questioned, I questioned if God was even calling me to be a pastor because, see, I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor, but my expectation was that God was calling me to be a music pastor. And here, Brad had just gone and stomped on that. So, you know, what was I going to do? And I, I questioned everything, I questioned whether I should be at this church anymore or if I needed to find another church. It was hard. And I think all of you know this feeling of when you've, you've had control over something and you've been in charge of something and you're good at it and it's gone really well. To surrender that and give it up is not easy. But as I started to pray and as I started to think and as I started to, to wrestle with this, I could feel God speaking to me and he was speaking peace and still and follow. And okay, maybe this wasn't your expectation, but maybe there's something better. And so, you know, <laughs> a year and a half later, wow, I would never have expected, never in a million years would I have expected to be helping to lead this church in the way that I do. And I, believe me, never 
Never would have expected to be standing up here and preaching to you all. That was like the farthest thing from any expectations that I ever had. But yet what God has done is that he's, he's moved in my life and he's taken me beyond my mere human expectations into, a, into his bigger picture. And guess what? I still like hymns and stuff like that. And if you were to walk into my house on any given day, you would most likely find me at the piano playing on a hymn arrangement. But it doesn't matter what I like because it's not about me. And quite frankly, I love you all, but it doesn't really matter what you like either because it's not about us. It's about the thousands and thousands of people in Joliet and our surrounding communities who have never heard the good news about how much Jesus loves them and the fact that he died for them. And sometimes, for most of those people who have never walked in a church before, a hymn is not going to speak to them. But some other music might. So we may need to change our expectations of the way that we do church. Our minds need to be focused on God's big picture and not our mere human expectations. Now, I want to take you back to Peter for just a minute because he eventually got it. Peter was able to surrender his human expectations, and it took him a while. It took him a while. But he was able to surrender his human expectations and see the bigger picture of what God was doing. Peter never would have expected that on the day of Pentecost, he would preach to thousands of people, and more than 3,000 people would give their lives to Jesus because of his message and his preaching. Peter never would have expected that Someday he was going to abandon all of the rules and the restrictions that he'd been raised with and go and preach to a group of Gentiles and they would start following Jesus. And Peter never expected in a million years to walk past a lame man in front of the temple and heal him. And he certainly never expected to be in a prison cell in the middle of the night and have an angel show up and take him by the hand and walk him out past a ton of guards who didn't even know he was there. But mostly, Peter never, never would have expected that one day he would be crucified and die for following Jesus. But here's the thing. What if Peter had never surrendered his expectations? Where would the church be without Peter? Would we even be here today if Peter had insisted on following his own expectations, his mere human ones, 
instead of surrendering them and searching for God's bigger picture. I don't know about the rest of you, but man, I want to be like Peter. And I want a whole church full of Peters who are willing to do whatever it takes, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us, that other people might come to know the love and grace and hope that is found in Jesus, like I have. So here's what I want you to know today. Sometimes our expectations are just way too small. We need to abandon our merely human expectations and embrace, embrace the unknown of God's big picture because that's where freedom is. And the only way that we're going to to reach our community and see God do big and amazing and wild things beyond our expectations is if we're willing to go beyond the merely. So that's a call today. The call is to surrender. And you know, just when you think you've got it down and you've surrendered your expectations, something else is going to happen and you're going to have to surrender another expectation. But it's growing and that's part of growing and following. And it's so good because there's peace and there's joy in that. So my challenge for you this week is to surrender your merely human expectations for your life and for this church. Surrender them to Jesus so that he can take us and do things that are beyond our wildest imaginations and expectations.